<laughs> Thank you, David. Good. So absolutely no pressure at all then. <laughs> Pride comes before the fall. Oh, dear. Um, well, thank you so much for inviting me. It honestly is just a massive privilege. I really mean it to come here. Um, yes, Dave's right. We were planted out almost just over nine years ago. It'll be 10 years next April that we were planted out from this church. But in fact, beyond that, this church is actually very much part of my own DNA. And um, I'm quite ashamed to say, actually, that the first time I had any connection to this church or its predecessor, Cromwell Royal Baptist Church, was in July uh, 1981, when Adrian Lowe invited me to a very memorable evening service there. And uh, we had such a great time. Um, I kind of raved about it when I got home, told my brother, who was just qualifying in civil engineering. Then Alan and Carol Lowe invited my brother and I for tea. We went to that evening service on the 2nd of August, uh, 1981, and he got saved. Absolutely incredible. His life was completely turned around. Um, And that's a good lead-in, isn't it, to talk about faith for salvation, because that's what we're here to do today. Um, I understand this is part of a a mini-series, Dave. Is it Helen is preaching next week on, is it active faith or living faith? And you're speaking about the gift of faith. So this is part of a a three-Sunday series on faith. So what I wanted to do, first of all, was talk very briefly about what is salvation, then talk about, in a word, what is faith. I don't want to steal any of the thunder that's coming, but then talk about faith for salvation. So what is salvation? To fully understand, we need to understand that salvation is actually past, present, and future. Apparently, there was a a very famous bishop called Bishop Westcott, 19th century man who was professor of divinity in Cambridge University. And one of his very zealous undergraduates came up to him and said, Bishop, are you saved? (laughs) And uh, he said, well, um, that's a very good question. And uh, yes, I believe I, I have been saved. And I believe that I am being saved And by God's grace, I believe that I will be saved. So what on earth was he talking about? I think the only way to understand this is my mind, I'm a simple uh, GP, is to think about ourselves in three ways, that we are body, soul, and spirit. So yeah, um, so here we are. Yes, if you can put the next three up. Um, We have a spirit that relates to God. That is who I am. I am spirit. I've got this eternal part of me that relates to God. Uh, I have a soul, perhaps if you put the next three up, Uh, mind, will, and emotions. That's what I have. I'm not that. I have that. And then I I live in a body. Yes, next. So as far as our spirit is concerned, thank you, um, we have been saved. If you're a Christian on that day, um, then Hebrews says, if we can just have that up there, that um, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once and for all. There's this wonderful scripture, isn't there, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Isn't that fabulous news? So if you're a Christian, then you are all new. There's Galatians 2.20 talks about how you know, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So that's a great sort of past tense thing if you've given your life to Christ. But actually, don't relax too much because just four verses after this, we could have the next slide. And it says, For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. What is he talking about? Well, clearly, he's talking about the soul, isn't he? Um, How does that happen? 
And this is a verse that was given to me. This is kind of my life verse, if you like. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is how we save our souls. It is a daily battle, particularly in our society. We've got this chap coming to speak about the internet, but we are flooded, we are bombarded from every side uh, by the world and the world's standards and values. So for us to swim against the current and to see our souls saved is a real, real battle. Um, there's this odd verse, isn't there? Um, next one, please. Yep, and again. Therefore, my dear friends, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, if you've got that muddled up, if you're a Christian, if you've got that muddled up with your spirit, you know, you'd be very upset. What do, you, what do you mean? I thought I was saved by Jesus, not by me. And, you know, I thought it was past tense, but it's talking about your soul. So, guys, this is a challenge I really mean it. We have got a battle on, and it's a daily battle in the society, in the culture in which we live. God is looking for saints. I just want to tell you something rather unusual and curious. On Tuesday, Daniel, my 15-year-old, and I were just sitting watching a uh, a film on Netflix called The Saint. If you Google 2017 The Saint, you'll see this absolutely naff film by Roger Moore. It really is not worth watching, but... Um, the Saint, The Saint, is played by a guy called Adam Rayner. And I thought, what a great name. Adam, Jesus is the last Adam, and Rayner, he's the king of kings. Where was he born? Shrewsbury. So God is looking for saints in Shrewsbury. Wow, just, that's a little sort of free thing. That, uh, but, uh, and then, of course, your body, uh, that is the uh, next thing. That there's going to be a, a future salvation, so if you can put that one up, thank you. Yes, at the resurrection of the dead, our bodies will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness. They will be raised in glory, buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. Secondly, what is faith? Very rapid overview here. Webster's Dictionary defines it as unquestioning belief that does not require proof. That's Webster's Dictionary. What about the Bible? What does that say? Thank you. Now, this is the Amplified Bible, as you can tell. Uh, Faith is the assurance, the title deed, the confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen. Um, 500 yards from my house, and I'm sure probably everyone in this room might be able to say the same thing. 500 yards from my house, they are building five housing estates. It's crazy. Everywhere you look, there's just a new housing estate being built. And I've driven around Shrewsbury enough to know that's pretty much true of Shrewsbury as well. Now, if I was to go up to the builders and say to them, now look here, my man, you know, would you kindly desist from building this house in my backyard? You know, he would say, I'm sorry, mate, <laughs> but I've got the title deeds. And I've also got planning permission. I've got the guarantee And that actually is quite good because for us, that's what faith is. We've got, we have got the title deeds of what we hope for. And we've got a guarantee. We've got planning permission, a divine guarantee. So when you are fulfilling your vision in Shrewsbury to build the church of Jesus Christ and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the gates of hell. And the enemy or one of his demons comes up to you and says, look here, what are you doing? You you can just say, I have got planning permission and I've got divine guarantee for this. Let's storm in. Let's take Shrewsbury for God. Do you understand? So that's our two, second challenge. First, be sanctified. Swim against the current. But secondly, 
take Shrewsbury for God, just as we're seeking to take Whitchurch for God. It's been divinely guaranteed, things we hope for, this town to be a Christian town full of saints. So, faith for salvation. Here we go. Um, Being a doctor, I rather like the idea of life cycles. So maybe if you have the next, uh, yes, and then one, two, and three. So conception, new birth, and maturity. Because I thought faith for salvation, you know, it doesn't actually, it starts somewhere, but where does it start? Well, as I was praying about this, I really felt there are two things needed, yes. So for conception, the spirit, and also the word. These two things are needed for a kind of spiritual conception. God took me to Genesis chapter uh, 1, verse 2. So if you have the next slide. Now, now the earth was formless and empty, a very similar situation. Formless and empty darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Nothing was happening except the Spirit was hovering over the waters. A kind of like exciting situation, but nothing was happening yet. And then, what happened then? And God said, let there be light, let there be sky, dry land, stars, moon, sun, birds, fish, land animals, and people. And as he spoke, the Spirit which searches the deep things of God brought that into being. So the Word mixed with the Spirit, boom, you've got an explosion. And that's exactly what happens at the new birth. So let's have a look. The role of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit comes, He'll convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And I don't know about you, but I had this when I was a young teenager. I just had this increasing sense of God hovering over me, of convicting me that if I died, there was going to be an exam in the sky which I knew I was going to fail. Crazy when I think back as an 11, 12, 13-year-old, I was so worried about death you know, why would a child be worried about death? Somebody must have been praying for me. In the cancer revival again and again, you get this extraordinary conviction of guilt. Listen to this, the Ulster revival of 1857, some were pierced as by a sharp sword. Their agonized cry for help was heard in the streets and the fields. A farmer was returning from the market in Ballymena. Suddenly, an awful presence envelops him. In a moment, his only thought is that he is a sinner standing on the brink of hell. He falls on the dust of the highway, crying out for mercy. Extraordinary. A hundred years later, the Hebridean revival of 1949, as you know, two old ladies, seven blokes gather around, they get hold of Isaiah 64, and they start praying it into being. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would quake before you. It was said in the Hebrides, wasn't it, that God came down. Duncan Campbell started preaching the gospel, had got 10 minutes into his message before he could not continue because of the cries of the penitent was so loud. A farmer, notorious for his immorality, an ox of a man, was on the floor next to Campbell, try and imagine this, shouting, oh God, have mercy on me. Even hell is too good for a person like me. That was so loud, he actually had to stop preaching. I mean, that is the role of the Holy Spirit. Now get the Word of God, thank you, into that, and you get an explosion happening, don't you? I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the power of God for the salvation of all who believe, first for the Greek, and then first for the Jew, then for the Greek. That, guys, is why we pray. That's why we have prayer meetings. We pray down the Holy Spirit, don't we? 
That's why we gather around in corporate prayer and we just pray for the Holy Spirit to be poured out so that when the gospel comes, and as a church you're preaching the gospel so faithfully in so many ways. You know, your next Alpha's coming up, isn't it, in January? Just tremendously faithfully preaching the gospel. But my goodness, when your intercessors, and every one of you is called to that, when you pray the Holy Spirit down, boom, you know, you're going to see this town taken for God. Okay, thank you. So let's go on to the new birth. Thank you. Yeah, well, the next one as well. Um, what is conversion? Salvation is not so much uh, an intellectual process like joining a gym, fortunately, or uh, becoming a vegetarian. Uh, it's something far more radical than that. It's not an intellectual process. It's much more like switching on the radio. I was thinking of this. It's just like you suddenly switch on something inside and it starts receiving signals from God. You know, before other Christians have gathered around or holding their radio to you, listen to this, listen to this, suddenly your own receiver comes alive to God. You're born again. And that that expression, born again, as we know, doesn't come from Billy Graham. It comes from Jesus. So perhaps we could have the next one, which is just a picture. Nicodemus. There was a Pharisee, uh, Nicodemus, who's a member of the Jewish, Jewish ruling council, came to Jesus at night. Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from God. No one could perform the miraculous signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, Nicodemus was a rabbi, which just simply means a teacher. In fact, he was the head of a rabbinical school. Not only was he a teacher, he was actually a Pharisee. Now, Pharisees were a sect who went to the temple three times a day. That's a bit of a burden, isn't it? And they prayed seven times a day. So he was a very holy man. And then more than that, he was actually a member of the Jewish ruling council. In other words, he was um, a part of that 71, the Sanhedrin, who were the kind of Jewish sages, the elders who ran the Supreme Court in in Israel. And his name, actually, Nicodemus, means ruler of the people. So this was a VIP, you know, a really intellectual guy. He comes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, in other words, professor, you know, you're clearly from God. There are all these miracles happening I just need a quick seminar, if that's all right. You know, I need to be ahead of my pupils. You know, so maybe you could just give me a bit of information because I think I may be missing something about God. And Jesus cuts through all that cerebral intellectual stuff and he says, you need to be born again. Can you see what I mean? He's addressing not the soul, but the, but the, the spirit in him. You need to be born again. No chat about the Talmud. No chat about the Torah. Just Cutting through all that, you need to be born again. The new birth is not cerebral or intellectual. If it was, we would be no different from the devil. James 2 is quite clear about that. You believe there is one God good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. What I'm saying is not that you have to throw your brain away to become a Christian. Some of the most brilliant minds on the planet are born-again Christians. A contemporary example, how about Francis Collins, who's the lead scientist uh, on the Human Genome Project? You know, these guys, incredible, far, far brainier than, than me. You know, I just think, well, if they believe it, it's probably true. You know, that's all you can say. There are so many unbelievably intelligent people who've thought this through to the nth degree. So we're not saying you don't, you have to throw your brain away. We're just saying that that's not how you get saved. Salvation is not a work of man, but of God. Thank you. Martin Luther. So here we come. This is it, isn't it? Martin Luther, a German monk, 
desperately wanted to save his own soul. He prayed to seven saints a day. He whipped himself in his monastery cell until he passed out, until he became unconscious. He wanted to so inflict pain and agony on himself that it would kind of beat all the temptation out of him. He wanted to save himself. Finally, he realized he could not save himself. He came across scriptures that showed that there was no way that actually salvation was a gift. He was so mad and so incensed at the Catholic Church, wasn't he? Thank you. That he went to that chapel in Wittenberg in Germany and he hammered up those 95 complaints about the Catholic Church, the 95 theses. Why did they put all these obstacles in the way of salvation when it's a free gift? I've just read it in the Bible. That actually sparked the Protestant Reformation, the greatest revival since Pentecost swept around the world because that was like the starting gun, wasn't it? Something amazing happened. It it culminated in this, which are the, um, well, you missed it, Uh, the five solas uh, with five alone that summarize the essentials of Christianity by Scripture alone, by faith alone, by grace alone, through Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, the five sola alones. So that became, uh, kind of changed the face of Christianity. Yes, uh, next please. There it is. John Wesley, 200 uh, years. 200 years later, more or less went through the same journey as Martin Luther. And he really wanted to be a holy man. He, be, he became ordained. Uh, he joined the holy club. He actually uh, uh, went off to America. He went to be a missionary in the States for two or three years. Tried everything he could to convert people over there. It was a total flop, absolute failure. He came back and said, I tried to convert the heathen, but who will convert me? Absolutely hit a wall. And then one evening, 24th of May, 1738, at 8.45, this happened. He was listening to a book by, guess who? Martin Luther. It was actually the preface to the book of Romans. He later recalled, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. Assurance was given me that he'd taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. So there it is. You know, religion is trying to pull yourself up by your shoelaces. When people ask me, are you religious? I always say, no, I'm not religious at all. Christianity is not a religion. We don't pull ourselves up by our shoelaces. You know, Christianity is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you, the next one. By grace, you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not, uh, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And I love that little phrase in the middle, through faith, that not of yourselves. Because if you think about it, when you approach Judgment Day, you might just be thinking to yourself, was my faith strong enough? You know, do I have faith in my faith? It's not your faith. It's his faith. All you did was activate your will and ask for it. It's not your faith. It's his faith. That's why you can approach Judgment Day with total confidence. Because all you did was simply ask, and it was given to you this wonderful present of salvation, faith. It's a present. All you have to do is receive it. Isn't that fantastic? Um, So, some people never get beyond this. Next. That's when the, the new birth happens, isn't it? When you receive that gift. Some people never get beyond this. 
I'm thinking of one particular example, and uh, that's on the next slide, which is the thief on the cross. Then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him truly to tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This man never got baptized. He never got discipled. He never read a word of Scripture. He never visited a church. He never did any good deeds. He never spent time in prayer. He was just saved. Simple. And that's, that's what it's all about. Yes, you do have to go on to maturity. We've talked about that. But this man didn't. That, that was just salvation. Romans 10, Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So let's look at just exactly what he did do. And here I have a confession to make. In my loft, I have one of these, which is a tuck box. Has anyone else got a tuck box? Or am I the only one? Yes, I'm the only one. Um, I was sent away to school when I was eight years old to boarding school. And uh, when you were eight years old and being sent across the ocean to boarding school, you were given a tuck box. And uh, everyone else at my school at that time also had a tuck box. And about a year later, this was on my tuck box. Because in every garage was giving away these stickers. And so we loved stickers to stick on our tuck boxes. Now, does anybody know what STP stands for? You recognize that sign, yeah? What does it stand for? Oil. It is a kind of oil. (laughs) Carry on. (laughs) You see, I wish I'd I'd offered a lavish prize now to anyone who knew, because I wouldn't, I'd keep it. STP, synthetically treated petroleum. But to me, it means, sorry, thank you, please. This is what the thief on the cross, in my view, did do. Very simple. This is all he had time to do, hanging on the cross. Thank you. First of all, he said, sorry, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. He had this awareness of sin. You see, we're very earthbound in our awareness of sin, aren't we? Uh, Genocide, we say, well, that's clearly, you know, way off the scale. Murder, adultery, well, they're major sins. Lesser sins are just lying, cursing, stealing. Well, you know, on a good day, that's pretty forgivable by God. You know, if you give to comic relief, he'll, he'll sort of overlook those things. But that, that may be your viewpoint. It's not the biblical viewpoint of sin. The biblical viewpoint of sin is this. The literal word means to miss the mark. The mark being perfection. Perfection. Sin, S-I-N, is independence. I'm going to do it my way. It's self-reliance, and we all suffer from it. Romans 3 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the bad news, three chapters later, it says, And the wages of sin is death. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? But that's what sin is. It's something that actually deserves death. It is heavy. And then something really majorly heavy happened. Jesus Christ actually did go to the cross. It says, doesn't it, in 2 Corinthians 5, that Jesus became sin for us, that we might be be called the righteousness of God. Jesus actually had sin put on him on the cross. It was so hideous. It was so terrifying. He was so marred. He was so ugly with sin that God shrouded the whole earth in darkness for three hours as he became a sin offering. He didn't want anyone to see his son becoming sin for us. But that was what it took to actually pay the price for sin, death, so that we could be free. And that thief actually 
Three days later, it was totally justified because Jesus rose from the dead, didn't he? He rose from the dead. He triumphed over sin. He smashed down the gates of hell and he vanquished death forever. So we know that he was absolutely justified. Thank you. He said, thank you. Recognition that this was God. Man has done, this man has done nothing wrong. This was the long-awaited Messiah, the perfect spotless Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. And then finally he said, please, he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It takes action. That's the one thing it does take. You've got to have a recognition of what Jesus has done, but also you've got to have a will. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens the door, then I will come in and eat with him and he with me. A man called Harvey Cox said this. He said, not to decide is to decide. Not to decide is to decide. So, sorry, thank you, please. Just to complete the cycle, I'm not going to do this. Um, Yes, maturity involves baptism in water, joining a church, baptism in the Spirit, building faith. By the way, these things you, you will be taught in the coming weeks, and we all know about them. Right, I want to finish with this. For some of you, this, you may not be born again. This actually may be something that you need to do today. A journey awaits you. If you've never actually taken this step, a journey awaits you, a journey of salvation. Jesus did not promise that it would be easy. In fact, he said, anyone who wants to be my disciple must deny himself, must take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their lives will lose it, but whoever loses their life will save it. At the beginning of the talk, I mentioned my brother. Perhaps I could have that next slide up. Andrew, back in the 2nd of August, 1981, gave his life to Christ. I had no idea what God was going to do with that man. Oh, Adrian, you're here. <laughs> 36 years ago, Adrian, and we don't look a day older. It's amazing. <laughs> Adrian invited him. He gave his life to Christ. And in 2011, Andrew and Sheila went to Afghanistan, where they did missionaries for six years. During those six years, 20 missionaries of their friends have been killed. One of them is still in captivity with the Taliban. I had no idea that God was going to take him on a journey that would lead to him risking his life daily for six years. But that is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It is so attractive. It's so precious. It's like treasure hidden in a field. You sell everything you have to get hold of that. It's like a pearl. A trader sees a pearl. He recognizes that pearl. That is priceless. You sell everything you have to get hold of that pearl. That is what Andrew and Sheila did. Satan, the opposer, the enemy of your soul, will tell you he is the great procrastinator. He will say, put this on the back burner. Don't act on this today. Think about it. Maybe on your deathbed, that's the right time. And there may be something in your soul that is actually saying, that's right. He's right. Because actually repentance involves letting go of something. Do you know how to catch a monkey? Do you know this? If you want to catch a monkey, just put a nut in a bottle and tie the bottle to a tree, apparently. The monkey comes, he puts his hand in the, in the bottle, grabs the nut, and then he can't get his fist out he, if he won't get low, go of the nut. But if he lets go of the nut, he can get out and he can escape. But if he grasps hold of the nut, he's caught. 
He's caught in the trap. That's what the devil is trying to do. He's trying to get you not to let go. But repentance involves letting go. Whatever it is, your value system, I don't trust it anymore. I just don't trust that. It's going to let me down. It's leading me into a trap. I'm going to let go and I'm going to embrace Jesus Christ, the only one who paid the death penalty for me. Jesus said this at the very beginning of his ministry. He said this, the kingdom of God is at hand. The time has come. Paul says today, today is the acceptable day, is the day of salvation. So if this is you, do not procrastinate. I mean it. So maybe just in this time, Jim Elliott, the, 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 the missionary, said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So maybe we could just in this moment just close our eyes If you know that this is you, I don't want to embarrass you in any way at all. But I wonder if you can just, as we all have our eyes closed, just signal to me, this is me. I want to make this decision. I'm like the thief on the cross. I just want to make an action today and say yes to Jesus. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Let's all pray this together as we close. Lord Jesus Christ. I know I have sinned in my thoughts, words, and actions. There are so many good things I've not done. There are so many sinful things I have done. I'm sorry for my sins, and I turn from everything I know to be wrong. You gave your life upon the cross for me. Gratefully, I give my life back to you. Now I ask you to come into my life. Come in as my Savior to cleanse me. Come in as my Lord to control me. And I will serve you all the remaining years of my life in complete obedience. Amen. Amen. Good. I'm going to hand back to Dave. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Thank you.